I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. Can you imagine showing a 24 million return on investment from scaling listening in your organization? Learn how from Jim McNamara, a distinguished professor of public communication at the University of Technology, Sydney. Jim is internationally recognized for his research into evaluation of public communication and for his work on organizational listening. He is also an author of 16 books, including Organizational Listening, The Missing Essential in Public Communication. I know you will love this podcast because it helps us understand better what it takes to create organizational value through listening at large scale. Enjoy listening in. So it's great to have you on this program, Jim. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be with you. I'd love to just dive into our conversation. And since this is a podcast about listening, um, you do a lot of research on listening, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But when did you first start to notice listening and the impact it had on you or on people around you? Well, I guess it was, uh, I've spent most of my life working in communications. I started as a journalist, and then I spent 20 years working in uh, public relations and corporate and marketing communication. I then uh, moved, transitioned into research, specializing in evaluation of public communication campaigns. And what I was intrigued with in doing evaluation was so often that communication did not work. It failed. Uh, and that was one interesting finding. The other thing is, if we look around us today, we see that trust, for example, in business, in government, in many organizations is low and it's declining. It's not increasing. So we live in a world where we're actually spending more and more money on public communication, uh, advertising, public relations, corporate communication, but public trust in institutions is declining and many communication campaigns are failing. And I was trying to work out why this is. And that's what drove me initially to start to look at what was the problem. And when I talked to people who are, we call audiences, what I started to find is that organizations mostly talk. In fact, most people mostly talk and that others are very frustrated because they feel that others don't listen to them. And in the organizational context, we live in a society where organizations are key parts of our lives, government departments, you know, corporations, local, local government authorities, and people feel they are not listening to them. And that's what's driving the frustration. So when you first started to notice this, um, were you surprised? Not really, um, because there's a lot of work. Uh, my work came off the end of all the various studies about interpersonal communication. And within the interpersonal communication, there is an enormous amount of work on listening. And so whether you look at leadership studies or HR studies, we know that 
we need to listen to people. Uh, I, I was particularly intrigued that, um, first of all, we need to listen to each other. But what happens in an organization? What happens in a big corporation, uh, a government agency or department or an institution where you don't just have three, four, 20, 30 people to talk to? What happens when you have thousands of customers, thousands of employees? What happens when you have hundreds of thousands? And what I found surprising, and I did find this surprising, is there's really no research into how organizations can listen at scale. So what we have is an enormous amount of research into how organizations can speak and talk, advertising, public relations, publications, websites, social media, all the communication literature is actually about how organizations distribute information. In other words, it's about speaking. And it's surprising when you look around, there's very little information about how an organization can actually uh, listen, particularly listen at scale. So tell me more about that, listening at scale, because that seems like a huge uh, job or a huge thing to do. How does that work? Well, organizations all have uh, some functions that ostensibly should be listening as well as talking. So if you think about customer relations centers, if you think about call centers, if you think about governments doing public consultation, these are all functions that are ostensibly about listening. But what we found is uh, in doing, and I did a two years of research, in fact, almost three years of research between 2016 and 2019, where I looked at more than 100 organizations. And what I found is that, you know, if you look at call centers, they digitally record every single phone call. But what do they do with them? They try to pacify people online. But actually, I found they did nothing with the phone calls. They had all of that data and they did nothing with it. And that was just one example where we can go into that recorded data, we can transfer it to text, we can analyze it, and we can start to understand why people are calling those call centers, what their complaints are. And this is some of the research I've been doing. And same in public consultations. In the UK, uh, I was stunned to find one of the largest ever public consultations uh, done by the uh, NHS, the National Health Service, received 127,400 submissions. And many of them were 10 page or 12 pages long. So they'd received a million pages of submissions and nobody had any software, any tools to analyze a million pages. So they didn't. So there was 127,400 people and organizations who were just not listened to. This is the overwhelming amount of information that people have gathered, but now maybe with technology, things can change. Now it's possible to listen to data that wasn't possible to listen to before. This is very true. So we've become quite good at analyzing statistical data. And, and to be frank, analyzing numbers is fairly easy because we can pull it into SPSS or a spreadsheet and crunching numbers is fairly quick. But numbers only represent a very, very small part of a person. People don't speak in numbers. People speak in words. And I think we've had a blind spot when it comes to what researchers call unstructured data. And that is basically textual data or audio data. And yet that's where most people, are, whether they are customers, whether they're employees, whether they're other stakeholders, that's where most people are presenting their views and their opinions or submitting complaints. And we've not been very good at analyzing unstructured data. And you're quite right. Today, there are tools. There's text analysis tools, there's sense-making methodologies where we can, uh, machine learning software, where we can handle and this is what I've specialized a lot in, is showing organizations how you can take those large bodies of textual data and even digitally recorded audio data and analyze it 
to really understand what people are saying, then, of course, you can respond to those people. When you respond to people and, and show you're listening to them, your relationships improve, trust improves, you retain your customers, you retain your employees, and you get a lot of benefits. Yeah, I love that because a lot of times the first step is to actually be able to take the data and to interpret it or to find ways to understand it. And then how do we respond? Because that because this organizational listening is not just about taking it in and manipulating it. It's about really responding in a way that our stakeholders feel listened to. Well, that's very true. So one of the dangers in the whole process I found is that organizations were very receptive and saying, oh, yes, tell me the magic formula. What do I do? And they're looking for a single solution. And and what I found is there is no single tool. There is no single solution. Uh, I eventually propose what I call an architecture of listening. An organization has to design listening into its DNA. Um, and, and that And we can talk through what some of those elements are, but it is, certainly involves Uh, collecting data, but then analyzing data and then responding in some way. That's not to say you have to agree with everything people say. Uh, There's no requirement to agree, uh, even in interpersonal communication, but you can't just ignore people. You have to respond to them, even if responding is to say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. But if you don't respond, it's even worse than giving a negative answer. Can you give me an example of maybe one of the projects or some situation that you worked on um, where you were able to listen or to analyze data and then respond in a way that the audience felt listened to? Well, one of the major projects uh, that I'm actually presenting a keynote or the opening keynote address at, a, at the sum, Summit on Measurement of AMIC um, in, the, in the next week uh, was a research study with a nonprofit uh, European corporation called ACMEA. And ACMEA is not a well-known brand, but it has many, many subsidiaries across Europe in insurance and superannuation and investments. And we've worked together over several years. And just as one example, um, most corporations do what we call NPS surveys, Net Promoter Score. And so you ask your customers to rate you on a zero to 10 scale. And I'm sure you and your listeners have done one of these at some point. It seems everyone sends us an NPS survey. The problem was they were just capturing the numbers. And in the NPS scale, zero to six is a detractor, or people are passive, or promoters if they are nine or 10. What we did there is we didn't just get the numbers. We also wanted to find out in the open-ended questions of the surveys, what were the people who were detractors, the unhappy customers, what were they saying? We also wanted to know what the happy customers were saying. Once we knew that, we then started setting about analyzing that data and looking at how we could fix it. So if there was a high number of complaints about a certain issue, we looked at addressing it. But then the big thing came. We then used the call centers to call back the detractors, the people who were unhappy and who had complained, to call them back, tell them what we'd done. Many of them were shocked to find out that we'd actually listened and we were doing something about it. (laughs) We then did a further survey And we found that those detractors, we were thinking maybe they'll go from being detractors to being neutral or passive, as we call it in the NPS language. In fact, 48.6%, almost half, went directly from being detractors to being promoters. And promoters are happy customers who are likely to remain customers. Detractors are likely to leave. And that was an example that was done over a period of two years in an organization that has 17,000 detractors. So if we can take half of those to being happy continuing customers, we're talking between 20 and 30 million euros of revenue on the bottom line. And so this is a 
a case study that I'm presenting at, uh, at the AMIC Summit as an example of listening that has real bottom line benefits. This is great because understanding the impact, because sometimes this is in general, if you think of listening, people say, oh, we should listen better. It's hard to measure what is the bottom line there. What kind of, what, how does this impact, you know, what we gain or what we lose in terms of um, the money and the finances. And so this is a great example of what's possible. So you're saying that in this case study, potential customers who would have left the, the ones who were complaining, who would have potentially left the company actually became the cheerleaders of the company and stayed on. Yes. Mm. Yes, you can. Uh, we were, we were, it was beyond our expectations. And that's a commercial example. Of course, it's not only commercial examples. We're looking around the world at the moment. Many democracies are in trouble. Government, mm. trust in government is very, very low. And I'm also working with governments to say, putting out information, constantly promoting and sending out propaganda is probably not the best communication. The best communication would be to start listening to people. That's what democracy is about. And yet how many of our governments keep telling us what they are doing, how well they're doing it? And I'm finding in things like government public consultations, um, in stakeholder engagement, as they call it, they're actually not listening. They're going through an exercise. They call it engagement, but actually they want to use it to tell us what we should do and how good they're doing a good job. Um, in simple terms, you know, organizations need to shut up and start listening. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> shut up and start listening. <laughs> um, so, so this is, um, so if, if you're going to go and consult, let's say someone's listening to this podcast and this, and, and a leader in an organization and they thought, Oh, I hadn't thought about that before. And I'm interested. Um, what would you say is a first step for, a leader to take in listening to their organization? It's a good question in the architecture of listening. And I called it an architecture because you can't just bolt on a tool to do listening. You need to have it in your DNA. So the very first step is the organization has to have a culture of listening. It's actually got to want to hear. And it's actually got to believe that there is some value in listening. If you think you know everything, if you think your customers are just consumers there to consume your product and, and be quiet, it's not going to work. So an organization has got to believe that there is real value in, in listening. Uh, that's the first step. And then that means they then uh, uh, put in place policies for listening, where they start instructing call centers and public relations departments and uh, social media departments to start listening. Um, there is then a requirement. There's a whole range of technologies that we can use. And if you study the communications department, and this is an interesting exercise, we call it communication. If you study the communications department of most organization, there is a whole lot of technology and tools and systems for distributing information. They've got advertising agencies. They've got uh, people who post website comments. They've got people who write newsletters and so forth. Actually look at what infrastructure, what resources and what technologies and systems they have for listening. And what I found in my research, the ratio is about 90 to 10. It's about 90% tools and systems for, for talking, and there's no architecture or systems for actually listening. You do need software. You do need call centers that can record, that have people allocated to analyze the findings. What's the point of listening? You know, the organization I work gets uh, worked with gets a million phone calls a year, and they record them. What's the point of recording them if you don't analyze to identify the patterns. So we can identify, for example, what are the top 10 or 20 complaints? Once you know that, you can set about, you can't fix every complaint, but you could certainly address the top 10 or 20. 
and then you know you would have a, you know, a tangible improvement for your customers. Yeah, that could make a huge impact, that top 10 to 20, huge impact. We found in the case study with uh, ACMEA International that literally uh, being able to respond, first of all, identify what customers want, then respond to it, can put millions of dollars or euro on the bottom line or pounds on the bottom line of an organization. And I think the same with government. They could rebuild public trust more by listening than by trying to tell people things. When they called back, or the customer service, was it the customer service that called back the customers who were complaining in this situation? The way we did it, they have a number of, like many organizations, they had call centers with over a thousand staff in their call centers. They had several call centers, and most of them are receiving inbound calls. Um, We trained up, we gave extra training to a team uh, of the call center people in, uh, in what we call difficult conversations, because sometimes calling an unhappy customer Uh, can be a difficult conversation, but we're able to give them information because of the analysis we did of the complaints. We're able to say, these are the main things people are complaining about. So they they had insights. We trained them up in difficult conversations, and then they called people to genuinely try to help them. And the result was often delight. Many people were saying, I'm I'm just surprised. I'm I'm shocked. And thank you so much. Uh, People were delighted to be contacted, and to realize that the company had actually been trying to listen, at least to some extent, to what they were saying. And I can imagine that the employees who went through this training, who felt prepared, and then who called, and then having a positive response from the the people who they normally get complaints from, this was probably great for their morale. It was great for their morale. Um, The employees were very happy. And also internally, internal communication is very important. The organization didn't just try listening to its employee to its customers. It was also improving the listening to the employees and uh, things like product development councils. They found there were brilliant ideas coming forward for the employees. And so by listening to their employees better, they were able to identify a lot of improvements in processes, improvements in innovation in products that led to retention of top level employees that reduced recruitment costs. The list goes on. And the, uh, you know, this research is very interesting because we we spent a lot of money on communication and very much in the measurement space, we're struggling to prove the value of communication. But actually, the value of listening comes in far, far higher than the value of putting out information. Putting out information is very costly. You know, I was thinking about the, um, you know, there's the research on the asking questions, you know, you can ask questions, but and they thought that that was the re- that was a value, but actually it wasn't asking questions. It was listening to the answers. If you ask a question and don't listen to the answers, then you actually do the opposite of what you're trying to intend. And the same thing here, they're gathering, if even employee surveys or customer surveys, if you gather lots of information, but then you don't really listen to it or do anything with it, then it could actually create an opposite effect. Yes, a failure to listen, if you do, uh, and let's be honest, uh, everyone listening to this program, I'm sure they get many surveys, we get calls, we get we get lots of contact from organizations who tell us they want to listen to us. But I mean, a simple example, even when you get on a flight, and I've been on many flights in my life, and very often airlines are asking us to fill out a customer survey card. I have never, ever received an email or a letter from an airline telling me what they did. But not only that, I don't expect them to write to me personally, but they've all got a magazine in the seat pockets. Why couldn't they put an article in there saying, thank you, here's what we've heard, here's what we've done. I have never seen such an article. So we assume that when we fill out those uh, customer surveys on an airplane, nothing's going to happen with it. 
Um, that's just a very simple example that for very little cost, you could actually collect information, you could analyze it, and then you could go back to your customers and say, hey, we, we heard all this from you. This is great. And here's what we've been doing. And nobody expects that organizations can fix everything. But even if they fix something, we're happy. Yeah, exactly. We, we appreciate that they're making efforts and um, that that takes us a long way. Um, so I'd love to go back to your architecture of listening. So you talked about um, creating a culture of listening where people really want to listen. That means it starts from the you know C-level wanting to listen to the customers, their employees and whatnot, you know, all the way down to, you know, when you talk about scaling up, I'm just thinking of this from a scaling perspective. Um, then it's, if you are doing surveys or you have um, technology that's out there researching that you're actually uh, doing something with it and responding in a way that actually is visible or where customers feel it, can see it, can taste it, can smell it, you know, but it's actually becomes real for the customers um, or the employees. Um, you talk about policies for listening. When you talk about policies for listening, can you give me some examples of what you mean by policies? Policies for listening uh, is really just a statement from the senior management that they want to receive this information. And it sounds so simple, but you know what? In reality, in many organizations, the, the, the employees at the coalface, those who are talking to customers, the salespeople out in the field, they actually know what's happening. But very often they do not report to management. Why? Because management doesn't want to hear. A lot of people are in trouble if they give the boss bad news. Management's got to communicate to employees that they want to hear everything. They want to hear honestly. And so that's very, very important. So often the organization is, there's what I call a lack of articulation, that the people in the field, the, the customer-facing staff, the employee relations people, the HR department, they don't want to give the bosses bad news. They know that the bosses just don't want it. And uh, you've got to create policies where you know you're, where you can show people you're an open culture, you're open to hear good news and bad news. Then, of course, you need the technologies and the systems for listening. Um, and I call that part of that final step of the architecture articulation. That is what the organization... As well as large scale, the other thing about an organization is listening is, is uh, delegated. The CEO, the senior management can't directly listen to everybody they need to listen to. So they are delegating the listening to customer service departments, to employees, to HR departments, to social media analysis teams, and so on. They have to have policies that they're willing to listen. And uh, there has to be articulation. What those people hear has to be articulated through to decision making. And very often there's a breakdown there because of the culture of the organization. Um, sometimes the organization is hearing, but it doesn't get articulated to senior management. You know, I do some work with some uh, tech companies and, you know, they're, who are growing pretty fast. And so you hear the struggle of communication, you know, where you're small and everything's when you're smaller, it's much easier to communicate and know what's going on. And then as it grows, um, pretty quickly and scales up fast, then you have people who haven't had as much experience going into management positions or then managing managers who are managing teams, you know, and there's a struggle of communication. I don't know if you've had any experience on how to even um, work with organizations that are growing quickly on how to manage that. Well, the issue of growth and scale is the big challenge for organizations because at the end of the day, listening is a human factor. 
ideally, we would all listen to each other with our ears. We would uh, interrelate. So the reason I focus on organizational listening is uh, interpersonal listening is the ideal. That would be the, the best environment. But in an organization, when it's very small, and I founded a very small business originally uh, when I owned a research company, and it was great. You could walk out on the floor and you could talk to everybody. You could crack open a glass of wine on Friday night and everyone would crowd around and you could speak to people and listen to people. But what happens when you have 500? What happens when you've got 1,000 employees? What happens when you've got global offices around the world in different time zones? And that's the challenge, exactly as you say, that then organizations have scale and then they have to delegate responsibilities. And when you delegate, you've got to make sure that the lines of communication remain open. And those lines of communication need to be two-way. So often they become one way where the central organization is pushing out information to the customers, to the subsidiaries, but it's not got open channels of communication back. So this issue of uh, scale and the issue of delegation, which in the end leads to mediation because the voice of the customer, the voice of the employee, the voice of the stakeholder actually isn't uh, audible anymore. It becomes text, it becomes an email, it becomes a letter or a submission. So it becomes mediated. So we then have to build the systems in the architecture of listening that we want to hear what they got to say. We understand scale, we understand it's delegated, and we've got to look at those mediated forms of, of communication. And after all, the communication going out is mediated. It's in, it's in emails, it's in direct mail, it's in advertising. Um, but often the listening is also mediated. And so making those channels work effectively is very challenging for organizations during growth, but you have to do it because if you don't, sooner or later you lose touch with the extremities of the organization, with the customers, with the employees, and you start to suffer the effects. You said there's a lot of um, technology out there that help with listening. Um, and so you've been, you know, experienced a lot of different ones, and there's probably some that you have found most valuable. Um, I don't know if you have any anything you'd like to say about that. And I'm also even more curious, is there in the technology that you are using so far, <clears throat> do you see a gap in the technology of listening that you would love to see filled? An area of listening, of maybe impacting technology that isn't there yet? The technology is advancing rapidly. And I think with artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're going to go into a whole new, new level. But even apart from that, right now, the basic tools for large-scale listening um, are not only, we, we, we've long used statistical analysis. We analyze numbers. So we know how old people are, where they live, and we know how many products they've bought. But people write letters, people write emails, people post comments on social media. So the very first step forward is simply text analysis. There are, there are hundreds of programs available to do text analysis, to analyze words. And we seem to forget in business, we become very numeric, but we seem to forget that People speak in words. Their voice, the voice of the customer, we, we say we value it, the voice of the customer, the voice of the employee, the voice of the stakeholder, it's not in numbers, it's in words. So we've got to be able to analyze text. That means we've got to be able to scrape text out of uh, call centers, out of emails, out of uh, open-ended comments in surveys. We too often just focus on the numbers. And then there are many other simple things you can do. How many, you know, the organization I work with has a whole number of websites we put in some simple software with pop-up mini surveys that you could say rate a web page. You could, you could give a comment to say this is useful, not useful. And then we capture that data 
And so you're able to say, well, if a page is not useful, let's fix it. If people are finding a page very useful, let's make sure we keep it. And so whether it's web, uh, web survey pop-ups, whether it's uh, text analysis, there is a whole range of software and tools and systems available already. Um, and we use many of them in research, um, but they can be used for organizational listening. Do you think a lot of the where there might be more of a gap, there's all of these tools out there, is a matter of listening to the information, then how do we respond to it? What do we do with it? And how do we respond to it in a way that the people we're responding to actually know that we're responding to them? Yeah, well, there's multiple steps in that. And uh, organizational listening, um, I talk about seven or eight steps in listening. And the first thing is, uh, in all listening, the first thing you do is acknowledge um, and Obama's campaign was very good at this in 2008 that, uh, you know, automated email, anyone who sent a message to the Obama campaign instantly got an email reply. Now, we know that was done by a machine. Uh, it was an automated email system, but it's reassuring. At least, you know, you're, how many of us send a message to an organization and we have no idea whether it got through or whether it was just disappeared into cyberspace. And so simple systems of acknowledgement. And then, of course, acknowledgement's not enough. You have to do something with it. But that's where your text analysis and your sense-making software, there's a whole range of tools that can interpret that data. And no one is suggesting that an organization can reply to every single person. But what we do in the analysis is we identify patterns. So if we see that, let's say we get a 1,000 uh, comments, and we see that the 50% of them are commenting on a particular issue, that's something the organization then can respond to and go out with statements and go out on its website and say, we've heard from you and we're fixing this. And so it even doesn't have to be an individual response, but it comes back to capturing and then analyzing to understand the patterns and then responding in your outbound communication. You know, you mentioned that there's a, you know, a lot of distrust now in politics and you, and you know, there's a lot of um, politicians, I mean, they are constantly measuring what, what language, what words that voters may respond to and whatnot. And yet at the same time, voters still feel like they aren't listened to. So they're, it's like they're listening, but they're listening to, to, um, to try to persuade people to do what they want versus listening to what people really want and responding to them. Is that what you see what's going on? As a researcher, there's uh, what I would talk about there is open listening versus other forms of listening. What many politicians, what many governments and many corporations do is they have a they do surveys and polls and they have a fixed list of questions. So I could ask you three or four or five questions. And those are questions that I decide what to ask you. And all you can do is respond to those questions. Open listening is where you don't set the agenda. You ask people what they are concerned about. And very often, I mean, how many times have you filled out a survey, but there's not really a question on it that you want to talk about? Uh, often there's very few places that you can actually have a rant and say, this is what I'm concerned about. And so, so often, uh, even when we say we're listening, we are not listening openly. We're giving a prescribed set of, you know, do you want me to uh, wear a yellow coat or a red coat? Uh, I have no choice. Uh, I say red. Uh, actually, I don't want you to wear a coat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot, of, a lot of the, if you think of political polling, it's always just a very fixed number of questions, often very, very few. 
and people are forced into making a decision on something. That's not really open listening. Yeah. Open listening, and, and as I said, I, I go back to the to the example of public consultation. That's way beyond polling. That's when you ask people to write out even a lengthy submission of what they want. And I was particularly disturbed in the National Health Service consultation because many of the people responding, they were health workers. They were professionals who had a lot of knowledge about what they were talking about. So that should have been valuable voice. That should have been very valuable information. Because they had so much of it, the government had not allowed uh, any time to analyze it. They did not have the software to analyze it. They, the staff didn't have the skills to analyze it. So they just simply manually read a sample. Now, that, that is a tragedy because those people went to all that trouble to write all that out. And, and yet that same government organization spends millions of pounds on communication. It has the budget, but it spends all the budget on distributing their information rather than actually spending the money on saying, why don't we get some really cool software and tools and skills to actually analyze what people are saying to us? So it's a matter of having the resources for the tools, also the resources for people to have the time to be able to work with us, um, and skill training for the employees who are going to be doing that. Yes, and in the end, it comes back to a very simple question of how what we understand communication to be. And so often when we say communication, what we mean is distributing information, our information. Communication is is actually, that's that's not one-way transmission of information is not communication. I say to my students at university, communication is more about what arrives in the minds of people and what happens than it is about transmitting information. Communication has got to be a two-way process. So if you're working in communication, really, you should be spending half of your time and half of your budget and half of your resources on listening and the other half on speaking and distributing information. That would be true communication. Yeah, I love that. I had sent you some questions um, beforehand, and one of the questions I asked you is, you know, what are our leaders or what are people asking you? Because you're out there working with a lot of different organizations, consulting, speaking to a lot of people. So what questions are coming to you? And I, you're, you said, you know, where people are too busy talking than asking questions. <laughs> and I thought, you know, it's so interesting, um, you know, because even on this listening topic, you know, often a lot of times we think we're listening, but we like talking about listening a lot more than we're actually listening. And this is part of what you're trying to um, influence in the organizational fear, sphere is helping people to not just talk, but to listen. So it's great. So my question for you, what question would you love for leaders to ask you? I think the questions are not so much to ask me, but the leaders should be asking the people they work with, the people they want to have relationships with. They should be uh, sometimes talking, but often stopping talking uh, in terms of distributing information and asking questions. To me, asking questions all the time. I like to ask people, for example, what do you think are the key issues? What would you like us to do more of? What would you like us to do less of? How do you feel about something? Why do you feel that way? How do you prefer to receive information? What information do you need? I could go on. There are so many questions, but what we do often is we decide what information we will send out. We decide what form we will send it in. We've already made all those decisions. So why not stop and ask a lot more questions and then respond to what uh, people need? So what is your big dream in the work that you're doing? What's, what would be your big dream? I suppose my my concern at the end of the day, um, I've worked in, in business a part of my life, but as an academic, I, I'm interested in society. 
I'm very concerned about democracy. Uh, it's the dominant political system around the world. But in most of the countries where it's been the dominant system, it's in a lot of trouble. Uh, there's very low levels of trust. Uh, there is a lot of disengagement from democracy. And so something is wrong. Um, and also in business, there's low trust in business. Um, and I think that uh, I would like to think that we can protect our democracy. Uh, it's important to many people in society. And I think that our political leaders are out of touch in many, many countries. Uh, we seem to be ruled by demagogues and, and people who, whether it's, it's not just communist countries, if we look at some of our largest democracies like the US and the UK, um, there's consternation in the minds of many people of what sort of leadership do we have? Um, are we being listened to as, as, as citizens in those countries? So my dream is that we, uh, as communication professionals, as social scientists working together, is we can somehow bring communication back into society. Uh, I love the work of uh, sociologists like John Dewey and James Carey, who, who wrote that society is communication. If you don't have communication, you just don't have society. And uh, so that to me is, is, is very important. Mm, nice. So you have authored quite a few books. If I look, it's around 16 books. And one of the books uh, is called Organizational Listening, The Missing Essential in Public Communication. And that was just published a few years ago. And I think that was based on the research you were talking about today. Yes, anyone who's who's really interested in listening, particularly in an organizational context, uh, uh, I put uh, two and a half, three, almost three years of research into the book called Organizational Listening, uh, which they can easily search uh, under my name. Um, and my latest book is called Beyond Post-Communication, which talks about almost the opposite. It talks about the rise of disinformation uh, and the damage that's having in society. And uh, the, the it, it's, a, it's a different take on the same issue, but organizations, governments, politics is now sort of riddled with disinformation. And so people listening to that information uh, are being misled in many cases. So what do we do about disinformation is the theme of the latest book. They're both published by Peter Lang in New York. So if you search Jim McNamara, organizational listening or Jim McNamara post-communication, I'm sure you'll find it. You know, I'm from one country, live in another. And so it's so interesting that I'll hear one group say one thing and another group say another and then another. And you hear these things that are totally opposite to each other. And you think, okay, which is the truth? Is there a truth? <laughs> and how people will just take information and then share it. And I probably have done the same too, where I've probably shared something without checking to see if it's really truth or if I'm also spreading misinformation. I think it's sometimes hard to, to know 100%. Well, I'm arguing that communication professionals certainly need to be at the front line. They need to step up and do probably a lot better than we've done in the past because there's a lot of advertising that's misleading. There's a lot of use of data that breaches privacy. But, but you're right, all of us can do something and technology is becoming available to help us. I mean, we can all jump into fact check. Um, there's PolitiFact. There's also Snopes and new language like Snoping where you can go and check out uh, whether something is true and you can post it online and find out that there's dozens of people saying, no, this is not true. And so there are these technologies available and that's what we call sort of digital media literacy that we've all got to take uh, some responsibility. Uh, we can't just point the finger at others and say someone else has to fix the problem. Yeah. And in the end, this is about, you know, do we want to rebuild the trust that we've lost 
you know, and, and trust is a big issue because of, you know, what's happened with misinformation, with, uh, with uh, this lack of listening in organizations, all of these things that we've talked about today. And I think trust is the big word um, that we have to decide, do we want to build it or, or not? <laughs> yeah, It does come down to trust. It does. Thank you, Jim, for a really nice conversation. This has really been a pleasure. And um, I think our listeners will learn a lot. And this will definitely, I'm, um, I'm sure, open the minds to many people who haven't thought about listening in this way. And I hope that this inspires many organizations to want to, to think about and put into practice um, or think about how to architect listening in their organization. So I think you're, you have a great book to, for them, a great resource for them to get started. Thank you very much. I am your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you were inspired by this episode of Listen In. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in.